Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, from January 11th in the year 2000 to January 11th, 2020, a period of exactly 20 years, a man named Noah Kalina took a picture of himself every single day. And when he was finished, he combined all those thousands of photographs uh, into an eight-minute video, with each photo appearing for only a fraction of a second. And so when you watch that video, you see Noah gradually change from a baby-faced young man to a middle-aged man with bags under his eyes and a beard. The change is slow, but it's steady. You see it progress. And this process of aging is something we all go through. You might not notice the change from day to day, but the reality is the change is occurring. And slowly but surely our bodies age, eventually they break down, and if we live long enough, then yeah, sooner or later uh, we will also die. As a prophet Isaiah says, the glory of man is like the glory of the flowers, which soon withers away. Now that's a change to our bodies. But as Christians, we have the opposite goal for our souls, for our hearts, and for our lives. The goal is that our hearts, that is, the very depths of our person and the rest of our lives, would be renewed over time. And slowly but surely, old patterns of sin would be broken that new desires to obey God would take root, that eventually, over time, we would be transformed from the inside out, restored into God's image. Now, at certain points, we may feel this change happen at a faster pace. Often, the change is more gradual, kind of like that process of aging. Whether it happens fast or slow, oftentimes, it's not easy. This change takes repentance. This change involves the dying of our old sinful desires and our old lives of sin. And this change often comes about through suffering, too. But one important thing we must keep in mind is that this change is not all up to us. Why does this renewal take place in the life of a Christian, in our lives? It's because God is at work in us. In His faithfulness, He's working to turn us into faithful Christians. That's essentially the theme for this afternoon's sermon. We're going to see that this change that God works is, first of all, promised, that is promised by God. It's necessary, that's the second point. And finally, we're going to see that this change and the renewal is, is wonderful, it's beautiful. So first of all, this change is promised. So the change in the Christian's life, which I just described, is a change the Bible calls sanctification, a lifelong process by which we, we become more holy and more obedient to God. You might think that this is the place where we take the wheel ourselves, that Christ has done his part to save us, and now it's up to us. As I mentioned just a moment ago, that would be a mistake. In the second part of the catechism, 
We looked at our deliverance from our sin and misery and God's judgment on our sin. That section describes Christ's wonderful work for us and in our place to pay for our sin and to give us eternal life. But the work of Jesus Christ for us does not stop there. The change that happens in the believer's life is Christ's work in us, his work in us by the Holy Spirit, and that is ongoing. And this is also what the third and final section of the Catechism focuses on, a section that begins at Lord's Day 32. You can see a heading over Lord's Day 32, our thankfulness, the third part. This is Christ's work in us. So there was Christ's work for us in the second part of the catechism, our deliverance, and Christ's work in us, the third part of the catechism. And we see both of these aspects on display also in our reading from Jeremiah 31. In this chapter, the Lord promises to make a new covenant with his people. And why does he make that promise? Well, it's because the old covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai It failed miserably, as we can see from Scripture. It's not that God somehow failed or was unfaithful, not at all. But the problem was with the people. By and large, they were not changed, but they remained living in sin, and their hearts remained as hard as stone. And God's good commandments, likewise, were written only on the tablets of stone, not in the hearts and lives of the people. That being the case, the Lord promised something better. A new covenant was coming. And as we see from Jeremiah 31, it gives us two main features of this new covenant. The first promise is that God will remember our sins no more. He will deal with them once and for all. He will not count our sins towards us, but will pay for them with a perfect sacrifice. And that promise is central to the new covenant in Christ. In fact, God fulfilled this promise in the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And again, this is what we studied in depth in the second part of the Catechism, Our Deliverance. The second part of the Catechism focuses on that wonderful covenant promise. In Christ, God remembers our sins no more. Through Christ, our sins no longer are an obstacle in our relationship with God. Instead, we have free access to God's throne through Christ, our mediator. But the goodness of the new covenant does not end there. The Lord will also make sure that the failure of the covenant made at Mount Sinai will not happen again. And so here in Jeremiah 31, the Lord also promises to change His people. You hear that promise in in those words, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And so the third part of the catechism, our, our thankfulness, 
focuses on the outworking of this covenant promise of God to put His law within us, to change us as His people. See, God has promised to work this change in our lives. This is what God promises to do in the new covenant for New Testament Christians, for all believers. You see, the danger we face when we read a passage like Jeremiah 31 and those promises there is that it, it's only a concept in our minds or some kind of pie-in-the-sky theology. But we need to understand the realness of this promise for, for us sitting here this afternoon. Thousands of years ago, God really did make a promise through the prophet Jeremiah that these things would come about for the people of God, and that includes you. And so you can trust that God will work this change in you too. And that gives great encouragement in the Christian life. It's not all up to us. God is the one who is at work in us. Change, first of all, comes from God. Verse day 32 asks, If we have been saved from our misery by grace alone through Christ, without any merit of our own, why must we yet do good works? And look where the answer, first of all, points us. To the Lord. Because Christ, having redeemed us with His blood, also renews us by His Holy Spirit to be His image. This is the outworking of God's covenant promise to put His law within us. And so you can trust that no matter how enslaved to sin you might feel, no matter how many times you may have failed, no matter how discouraged you might be in the Christian life, that God is at work. He will change you. This is one of His promises. And so we pray to God, we call to Him based on His own promises in His Word. We say, Lord, this is Your promise for me. Change me according to Your Word. And we trust that He will act. We seek change through His power. Change is possible for us because change is promised by God. So that gives us great encouragement. Oh, at the same time, as I speak these words, uh, maybe that raises questions in your mind. Well, if this is God's promise, why am I not changed all at once? And why do I still struggle with this particular sin for so long? And why does God seem so slow to work this change in my life? Well, here's where we need to keep a number of things in mind. First, struggles to change and slowness uh, to change doesn't mean God is not at work. In fact, a struggle against sin is a sure sign that God is at work in us. So we are fighting. Yes, a change might be messy and challenged by setbacks, but keep trusting because the Lord is faithful. Secondly, 
God might allow us to struggle for a time in order to make us see how much we do rely on Him and don't have the strength in ourselves. And how true that is. The power to change does not come, first of all, from us, but from God. It's by the Spirit that we put sin to death, not by the power of our own wills. The third thing to keep in mind is that there are other spiritual factors that could hinder our growth as Christians. Perhaps we may have some significant misunderstandings of the gospel of Christ that need to be worked out. When faith is weak, oftentimes the fruit of faith will be weak too. And speaking to another Christian about your struggles can prove to be a real help. In fact, this may be one way God fulfills His promise to you as well, by using a fellow Christian to to help you, to shape your life. The fourth thing to keep in mind is that even though the change does come, first of all, from God, which we must emphasize, we are still involved in this process of change, of becoming more holy. Scripture calls us to walk by the Spirit, calls us to keep in step with the Spirit. It warns us not to quench the Spirit, and it also encourages us to sow in order to please the Spirit, and we will reap great benefits from that. God does promise to change us, but He also calls us to live according to that promise to seek change in our lives, conforming ourselves to His image through His Word. That brings us to the second point. Now, in Jeremiah 31, we see God making those two beautiful covenant promises, promises to remember our sins no more and to change us. And this makes the new covenant so much better than the old covenant with Israel. And so the new covenant as a whole will not end in disaster and judgment like the old covenant did, and it will not need replacing. That being said, this does not mean that every member in God's covenant experiences these blessings. Some who have received God's promises sadly harden their hearts against the Lord. There are some who remain living in their ungrateful life of sin without ever repenting. And when someone hardens themselves in unbelief, in sin, then the curses of the covenant do come down upon them. We see some of this described in Lord's Day 32. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? And the answer is... By no means. Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like shall inherit the kingdom of God. You see, our, our, our walk of life, that is how we live our lives, it's showing the work of God in our lives or perhaps the lack thereof. If a person refuses to turn from sin instead embraces it with their hearts and their lives, allowing themselves to be ruled by it, shows a lack of the work of the Holy Spirit. It shows a heart that hasn't been changed, 
The Lord Jesus says this very thing in Luke 6. A tree is known by its fruits, he says. And again, a bad tree does not bear good fruit. It goes on to say in verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of his heart his mouth speaks. So that is a person who has not been regenerated, that means has not been made spiritually alive, will remain dead in trespasses and sins, walking in them, refusing to turn from them. And so when someone remains in that condition, they're showing no signs of spiritual life. And when there's no spiritual life, there can be no eternal life. See, the lives we live are a reflection of the state of our hearts. Those who refuse to turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life cannot be saved because they're displaying a heart devoid of God's renewing work. Christ keeps going further on in Luke 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? What is the claim that Jesus is Lord? Well, it's confession that Christ is our master, that he has bought us to be his own possession. We belong to him. But here's also the reality. One reason Christ bought us with his blood is to change us. He redeemed us from slavery to sin and Satan, so that we, not so that we could go on living in sin, but so that we would be set free from sin to serve Him. And then He leaves us with one other warning in Luke 6, But the one who hears my words and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So, we need to take these words of our Lord Jesus to heart. Why embrace a life of sin and unbelief? Why harden your heart in unbelief and sin? Sin is never worth it. So, God calls us to turn from it, turn from a life of sin. He calls us to repent. He says in his prophets, why would my people perish? Turn to me. Now, these warnings from the Scriptures and our confession here in Lord's Day 32, it's not meant to make us say, well, I guess that's just who I am. I'm stuck in this sin. There's just no hope for me. No. These things are calling us to turn to the Lord who is merciful. Turn to Him, confess our sins, and renounce them, and we find His wonderful forgiveness and grace in Jesus Christ. These warnings are also meant to bring about that renewal in our lives because it has so many beautiful effects as well. That brings us to our last point. So, Scripture gives us multiple reasons why we should want this change to happen. The first thing is that living a changed life full of good works is a life of true freedom. You know, if there's one thing we have such a hard time getting into our hearts and in our minds, 
is that sin is slavery. That choosing to live in sin is not freedom. We have such a a hard time getting this into our hearts because we're tempted towards sin. But the thing is, when we choose sin, we become slaves to destructive desires. But the more we walk by the Spirit, the more we are changed by God, the more we will enjoy freedom. And that's how God wants us to live, in freedom. Living according to God's commandments really is the best life. A similar reason to want to be renewed is that this life is a life of wisdom. Living in biblical wisdom is a life of security and well-being. It sets us up well for the future, too. Look at what the Lord Jesus said in Luke 6 again. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word, words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundations on the rock. And when a flood arose, the streams broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. And this same chapter shows how, just how radical a life change by the Holy Spirit looks like. Complete 180 degree turn. A total shift from how our sinful hearts naturally act. Listen to the immense change to which Christ calls us. He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. (coughs) To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. (coughs) Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Well, this is a difficult teaching, isn't it? The easy reaction to your enemies, or those who curse you, or those who strike you, (coughs) is to get revenge. This is what you do to me, and I'll get you back in twice as hard. But when we are changed by the Holy Spirit and actually put... Jesus' words into practice, what effect does that have? What effect does that have? Well, the first thing it's going to do is to assure you of your faith by its fruits, as Lord's Day 32 says. (coughs) You see, this is a radically different lifestyle compared to someone who does not know the Lord Jesus. As Christ says here, if you are good only to those who are good to you, what benefit is that? Even sinners do that. But living in this way shows that something else is at work in us, or I should say someone else. We can only live this way by God's grace and by God's Spirit working in us to change us. So, putting these words into practice will assure us that our faith is most certainly real. So, that's the first thing. But the second effect of putting these words of Christ into practice is also found in Lord's Day 32. We do these sorts of good works and live this new life so that by our godly walk of life, we may win our neighbors for Christ. Just think of what would happen in these scenarios in Luke 6. Doing good to those who hate you, 
Boy, that's sure going to make them sit up and take notice. Blessing those who curse you will show the other person how different you are from them. Offering the other cheek to one who strikes you will stay with that person forever. If you freely offer more of your possessions to one who steals from you, you're going to show him that you have something far more than he does. And by God's grace, living in this way will cause others to say, how can you live in that way? What am I missing in my own life? What do you have what I don't have? I could never do that myself. It's then we can point people to our Lord Jesus Christ and His saving work on the cross to pay for sins. That's why we have been saved. It's why we are God's children. It's by His love and His mercy. It's He who has saved us. It's He who has loved us. It's He who has changed us to more and more become faithful Christians. Amen. Let's respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing Psalm 139, stanzas 1, 2, and 13.